you, if you want to uh, go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 115 this morning. <clears throat> if, uh, if somehow the Lord has been merciful to you and you have not met me, uh, my, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Four Points, and uh, man, I have the, uh, the privilege of opening God's word uh, with the saints this morning. I look forward to it. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to get going. God, we just come before you right now, and we want to just confess who you are. Every soul in this room you have brought here by your sovereign hand this morning, and every soul in this room needs the gospel. Every soul in this room needs your word. We need your Holy Spirit to carve away the hardness of our hearts where idols may be creeping in. So we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would wield this word as a sword and that you would transform our hearts and renew our minds today. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so I have a question for you. Who in here uh, writes in a journal? Anybody in here journal? Anybody in here write your prayers out? Okay, some of you. So, so I have a question. Why, why do you do that? Why do you write in a journal? Why do you write out your prayers? Why do you do that? You do it so that you can remember. You do it so that you can remember what God has done in your life. And you can see the steps of where God has brought you from and where he is taking you to. I want to give the example of my wife, Tracy. She, uh, she journals all of her prayers. <clears throat> and when she completed her last prayer journal... She got to the end, and one night we were sitting on the couch, and she brought this prayer journal out, and she began to read some of her prayers from two, two and a half years ago. And, and it was, it was eye-opening to remember what we were going through in our lives and, and what we were praying together as a couple and how she was praying at that time. And it was amazing to go and to track and to trace how God had answered those prayers in our lives and in our family. It helped us to remember, right? So we've been in the book of Exodus, and just a couple of weeks ago, Brent taught, uh, he taught about how uh, God instituted the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he did that to help Israel remember what he did for them. 
in bringing them out of slavery when they were in Egypt, right? So, so God is graciously giving his people reminders. For us, for the church, it's baptism. It's the, taking the Lord's Supper. Those are, those are so we can remember what God has done on our behalf. We also know that when, when Israel went into the promised land and they would maybe take a military victory like in Jericho or Ai, oftentimes what they would do is they would build a monument there so that if they ever came back through by that way, right, there, there was something there that they could remember God's faithfulness in giving them their victory. And it gave opportunity for, for parents to teach their children how God had been faithful before. Psalm 115 is no different. Psalm 115 is is a reminder to Israel of God's covenant love and his covenant faithfulness to his people. See, Psalm 115 sits in the middle of six psalms. Psalm 113 through 118. Those six psalms are known as the Egyptian Hallel. They're known as the Egyptian Hallel because all six of these psalms are meant to point Israel back to God's faithfulness in delivering the people from Egypt. These six psalms would be sung at major celebrations. So just as we just talked about the Passover. So Israel would sing all six of these hymns or these songs together at Passover so that they would be reminded of God's faithfulness when, they were, when their ancestors were in Egypt. Right? It's, it's called a Hallel because Hallel simply just means praise. And it's where we get our word Hallelujah. And, and not only that, we know, we know that more than likely in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 30, Jesus, who is having the last Passover meal with his disciples, he's instituting the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He's having a last supper with them. And, and, and Matthew 28, 30 says that after they had sung a hymn, it's more than likely that this is what they were singing, that Jesus with his disciples at that last supper would have been singing Psalms 113 through 118 at the Passover to remind them of what God had done. I've named, I've titled this message, you can see it there. This is artwork by the hand of one of my good friends, Mary Beth Lawler. Okay, you see her singing up here sometimes. So I asked her if I could use this. So I'm sure you now know the title of my message today is Soli Deo Gloria. That's one of the five solas that came out of the Protestant Reformation. And it's Latin and it means to God alone be the glory. And so we are going to see in Psalm 115 today five main sections of why God alone is worthy of glory. You guys feeling good about this? I feel great about it. I haven't even started spitting yet. It's coming. Right at you, Tim. (laughs) First section, 
First section is gonna be verses one and two, okay? I've, I've labeled that first section soli deo gloria for his love and faithfulness. Soli deo gloria for his love and faithfulness. God alone be the glory for his love and faithfulness. Let's read verses one and two together. God's word says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? You see, in order to understand so Israel is singing this song right now, right? But we, we, we went over the background of, of what the song is about, but, but what is the context of, in which the psalm was actually written, right? So most, most scholars and commentators believe that this psalm was either written while they were in exile in Babylon or, or post-exile when they were still underneath the umbrella of the Persians, so either way, we know that they're not in friendly places and that the people around them are pagan idolaters. So we know that that's kind of the context and the setting of what, where this, why this psalm was written. So, so they're praying. These first couple of verses is an actual prayer that they're asking for God, right? So, so what, is one, what is verse one asking? What, are, what is Israel asking God to do? Well, remember, they're thinking back to Egypt. So they're, they're, remembering, they're remembering God's covenant love for his covenant people when they were in Egypt. He remembers that, uh, they're remembering that when, when the people were under that harsh taskmaster, when, when, when the people of Israel were groaning and when they were, when they were crying out for help in Egypt, God because he loves his covenant people, he heard their cries and he saw their hardship, right? They're remembering back to that and they're asking God in the midst of their current situation, we want you, Yahweh, to do the same thing you did back then. We need you to show up and show that you are Yahweh. They're remembering, they're remembering not only God's, God's covenant love for his people, but God, remember, God actually did what he said he was going to do. He delivered the people of Israel out of slavery, right? So they're remembering back to God's covenant love and God's covenant faithfulness to bring them out of, under slavery of the harsh taskmaster of the Egyptians. And notice that their prayer is not, they're not asking God to, do, to act and to show himself so that Israel gets the glory. They want, they want God to show himself to be faithful and loving to his covenant people for his glory. Oftentimes we want the glory, right? We pray for things, we ask God for things because we wanna look good. Because we want the glory. No, Israel wants God to show himself so that he will receive the glory. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod. It means to honor or to 
uh, to have reputation or reverence for, right? So, so if you recall, back when Israel was in Egypt, what did God continue to say? Repeatedly, over and over again, he continued to say, they will know I am the Lord. They will know I am the Lord. I'm gonna do this because they will know I'm the Lord. And that's what Israel is petitioning God to do again here, to show yourself to be the Lord, Yahweh. And remember, remember, so, so these pagan idolaters, they're kind of like mocking God here too. Look at verse two. Why, why should the nation say, where is their God? They're like, hey man, you're surrounded on all sides. Your God ain't showing up. They're mocking Yahweh, right? That sounds like Pharaoh. Didn't Pharaoh do that too? Who's this Yahweh that I should listen to him? I, I don't know who that guy is. I'm not listening to him, right? These pagan idolaters are asking, where is your God? They're probably thinking, hey, my God's right here on the table. I, here's my God. Where's your God? Right? <laughs> At least I can see my God. Well, your God ain't here. Right? They're, they're mocking Israel. They're mocking Israel. God, in order to bring glory to your name, show yourself to be loving and faithful to your covenant people again. That is the petition of Israel here in these first couple of verses, right? Soli Deo Gloria, for his glory, would you do it? Let me ask you a question this morning. We live in a culture that constantly now has, is growing around us, pagan idolaters, How do you respond? How are you responding to people that are possibly saying that Christians are just simpletons? Christians are just stupid. Christians, God is a fake God. We, we, we follow a book, right? How are you responding to that? Are you responding to that by going on your social media and writing all these diatribes and, and trying to get into arguments with people? Because if that's the response... You're seeking your own glory. You're seeking your own glory if you're doing that. As Christians, we have experienced God's covenant love and his covenant faithfulness. Our response to a crooked and twisted generation that hates us should not be to go on Facebook and talk about it. It should be to hit our knees and ask God to vindicate his holy name. For his glory. Let me encourage you with this. It's gonna, if that happens, it's going to get harder before it gets better for us. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It was that way with Israel and Egypt. It got harder before it got better. Right? But that should be our prayer nonetheless for God to vindicate his holy name for his glory. Soli Deo Gloria for his love and faithfulness. Second section, gonna be verses three through eight, okay? I've labeled this section Soli Deo Gloria for his nature and character. Soli Deo Gloria for his nature and character. 
three sections. You got verses three and four where the psalmist juxtaposes Yahweh against idols, and then you've got an explanation, verses five through seven, of, of, the, of the incompetence and the impotence of those idols, and we're gonna unpack that a little bit more, and then you've got verse eight where he, the psalmist tells us that there's a result to trusting in idols. There's a result to making idols, and it is not a good result. So let's take these a little bit here. Verses three and four, we're gonna read both of them together. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, this is a response to the question that these mocking nations asked in verse two. Where is their God? Well, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. We're gonna unpack that in a minute. That's good news, by the way. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. So who is the hour who is the hour in verse three? Our God. What's well, the? It's the same. It's the same group of people that from verse one. It's the us, right? It's Israel, right? Israel's pronouns are us and our. The there in verse four is the nations from verse two. So, so we've got, right, we're seeing what's happening, right? So, so Israel and their God, Yahweh, is being juxtaposed and compared to the nations and their false gods, right? Our God is in the heavens. Thanks be to God for that. Here's why. Our God is not bound by time. Our God, Yahweh, he is outside of time. And this is good news for Israel because a God who is outside of time means that he's not impacted or, or anything from the outside, which means he's not bound by Israel's circumstances. He's not bound by your circumstances. God is not bound by anything. He's outside of time. He's free to do whatever he wants. He's infinite. He's all-knowing. He's outside of time. He's in the heavens. That is good news for Israel, and that is good news for you today. You may say my circumstances are not good. It's not surprising to God. He's not bound by time. Israel's sin is what actually got them where they are. God, their sin doesn't bind God either. That's good news for you today too. Your sin is, does not bind God in any way from working things out for his glory and for your good. That's good news that he is in the heavens. So, so he's omniscient. He's infinite. He, he's eternal, but he's also sovereign. Look at the end of verse three. He does all that he pleases. To put it another way, everything that he does is pleasing to himself. Because everything he does is perfect and good and right and true. Everything he does is pleasing to himself. Because everything he does is perfect. 
You may be saying this morning, well, Nick, you, you don't really understand what my circumstances are. They're terrible. And it's because of my sin or sin, because that's what caused my circumstances to be terrible. You don't know how bad it is. I got three things that I want to say to you this morning, if that's you. There's no way God could be pleased with my circumstances. You're correct. That's exactly right. If your situation and your circumstances involve sin, God is not pleased by it. God is never pleased with sin, ever. He, nor can he sin himself. This morning, God calls you to repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. Romans 2, 4 says that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. He's not patient with you so you can continue on sinning. He's patient with you so that you will come to an understanding of your sin and you will repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. You're right. He's not pleased with your sin. But guess what? He's pleased by repentance. He receives glory when, we, when sinners repent of their sin and turn to Christ. He's pleased by repentance. You may be saying this morning, you don't know my situation. There's no way my situation can be pleasing to God. My circumstances are terrible. You're correct. It's the second thing I want to say. You're correct. But we sang it just a minute ago. God loves to bring beauty from ashes. He loves to bring beauty from ashes. He loves to take sinful circumstances that look terrible and make something beautiful out of it for his glory, and that pleases him to do so. Joseph looked right at his brothers, and his brothers thought that he was going to kill them. And he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God is sovereign enough to bring beautiful things from horrible circumstances. But it requires repentance. It requires trust in God. You may be saying, Nick, you don't understand. You don't understand how bad things are. You don't understand my circumstances. They can't be pleasing to God. You're correct. I don't know all of your circumstances, but I know the sovereign God of the universe who does. His name is Jesus, and he is God's Messiah. And just in case you didn't know this, he became a human, guys. He became a human. He took on human flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the son of God, became a human. 
Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he came as a human. He lived a perfect life that you could never live. Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to crush him. He was crushed for your iniquities. So you're right. You're right. I don't know all of your circumstances, and they may be sinful ones, but I know that God is pleased by repentance. I know he is pleased to bring beauty from ashes, and I know that he was pleased to crush his son for you so that your sins could be forgiven. You need to turn. We all need to turn to Jesus this morning. He is who we need. Verse four, that's big theology, right? That's big theology. Infinite God, omnipotent God, omniscient God, right? That is big theology. And look at these sorry little idols. They are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They made their own gods. They're making their own gods. Yahweh is the creator of all things, and they're creating their own. Let's look at verses five through seven, okay? So the psalmist now, it makes seven statements about these idols, describing them. And we're gonna look at them, Lord willing, one at a time. We'll see. Maybe five at a time, I don't know. Okay. Verse five, start at the beginning. These idols that have been created by man, they have mouths but they do not speak. An idol is completely mute. That, that an idol has no way of communicating anything to anyone. And this is really important. This is really important for us. Why? Because we have a God who has spoken. And we have a God who continues to speak to us. We do not have a dumb God. The idols are dumb. Our God, he speaks. So, questions. Who are you? Where did you come from? What's wrong with the world? What's good? What's bad? Is salvation possible? Is there a God? These are all questions that you don't have to be a Christian to ask those questions. These are simple philosophical questions that you don't have to be a believer to, to ask, right? So I encourage, you know, let's have them go ask their idols those questions, right? Ask the idols these questions. Silver and gold. They're going to get no answers. They get no answers. Ask your bank account who you are. You're going to get no answer. Ask your job if there's a God. You will get no answer. Ask your kids' travel sports team <laughs> is salvation possible? No answers. 
God has already answered every one of those questions before we ever even ask the question. He's answered the questions. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. He breathed it out. His, this is his very words. He has literally spoken from his own mouth to us. 2 Peter chapter 1. We have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's answered all the questions we need answered. The secret things belong to the Lord. He's given us all that we need to know the answers to these questions. God, Yahweh, is a God who speaks and has spoken. Look at the end of verse 5 and verse 6. It says, it says, they have eyes but do not see, and they have ears but do not hear. Listen, let me tell you something about that. Let me say something. A God who can't see and a God who can't hear is a God who can't help. Let me say that one more time. A God who can't see and a God who can't hear is a God who can't help. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During those days, many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Unlike these false gods, Yahweh is a God who sees and hears and remembers and knows. And therefore, he can help. Think about the prophets of Baal. What, what were the prophets of Baal? What were they doing? They were, they were chanting and dancing around and shouting and doing all these things, trying to get Baal to consume their sacrifice. But guess, guess what happened? Did, did Baal hear? No, Baal did not hear. Oh, well, maybe he'll see us. We're going to start cutting ourselves. Maybe he'll see us. Maybe he'll be able to help if we just start cutting ourselves. Maybe he'll see us and be able to help. Did Baal show up? No, because he can't see. He can't hear. He can't see. So he can't help. We have a God who sees and hears and can help. Noses. They have noses but do not smell. Our God, he speaks of being able to smell. He speaks of, the, of Israel making sacrifices that come up to him like a sweet aroma. Right? They have, they have hands but do not feel, so they're blind and they can't even feel their way around, right? Well, our God has a hand. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has a hand and is a hand of provision. He provides with his hand, right? He gives with his hand. Isaiah 43, uh, Isaiah describes his hand as a hand of protection. So, so our God is a God who provides and protects with his hand. They have feet, but they cannot walk. 
God doesn't really need to walk. He's everywhere all the time. He's, he's omnipresent is the word. Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8 tell us that. Look at the end of verse 7. This, is, this, this makes me laugh a little bit. And I kind of made a noise. I wouldn't do it. So, the, he cannot make a sound in his throat. Right? So, so the word sound in Hebrew is an interesting word. It, it's, it's hagah. And it means to moan or groan. Right? So, so here's the picture that I saw. I saw Yahweh while Israel was in Egypt, and Yahweh was one at a time just crushing their false gods, one at a time, one at a time. He's putting his foot on the throat of these false gods, and they can't even go, <laughs> Right? They can't even make a noise. They, have, they can't even make a sound with their, they can't even moan or groan, even though they're being crushed by Yahweh one at a time. Why? Because they're made of silver and gold. They're false gods. They're ungods. They're non-gods. Right? Last, finish off this section. Oh boy, we got a boogie. Shoo. What happens, what happens when you trust in idols? You become spiritually impotent. Like these impotent idols. Right? Those who make them become like them. So do those who trust in them. If you trust in an idol, if you're trusting in false gods, even ones that you've created, guess what you're going to look like? You're going to look like the thing that we all just laughed at. That's what it's going to be. You're going to have spiritual deadness. If you're a Christian in this place today, though, your destiny is not that. You must know that. Romans 8.29, you were predestined. That means your destiny was determined beforehand. And what was your destiny determined to be? It was to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So are you trusting in the things of this world and the idols right now? Are you becoming like the world? Are you becoming like those things? Or are you in Christ and you're growing in Christ's likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit all the time? There are only two options. Soli Deo Gloria. Number three, third section. Verses 9 through 13. Okay? So we're going to read verses 9 through 11, the first part. Okay? So, don't trust in idols. Well, then who do we trust in? Look at verse 9. Trust in the Lord, O Israel. Trust in the Lord. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Here's, here's what we need. Don't trust in the idols. They can't do anything. We've established they can't help you. Trust in the Lord. He's the one. Right? So the idea there is to take the confidence off of yourself and put confidence in the Lord. If you're confident in yourself, I guarantee you, most likely, you're going to make a mess of something. That's just the truth of the matter, right? Israel did. It's called the golden calf. They thought they had it figured out while Moses was up there. And they made a daggum golden cow and started worshiping it. 
That's what happens when we're trusting in ourselves. We, we make our own idols, right? We create our own idols. We trust in those idols. That's what happens. We need to trust in the Lord. Israel needs to trust in the Lord. And they need to trust in the Lord, and we need to trust in the Lord because help actually comes when we trust in the Lord. Look at the second half of those verses. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Listen, listen to me. They need help. Israel needs help. You need help. I need help. We can't do it. If we're putting our confidence in our flesh, we're going to ruin everything. We will ruin it all. We got to take our trust off of ourselves and our confidence off of ourselves, and we got to put our confidence in the Lord. That's why this self help sham industry that's been brought into the churches, that doesn't help anyone because you're asking sinners to help themselves. They, that's the opposite of the gospel. We don't need Jesus if we're sinners that can help ourselves. We have a helper, though. If you're in Christ this morning, we have a helper. It's the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within every single believer. We have the help of God that we need. He's given us our help, but we have to trust in him. See, Israel is surrounded on all sides. If they trust in themselves they're going to get smacked, right? They're going to lose, right? And it's the same thing with us. We're surrounded on all sides. You and I, as Christians, we are surrounded on all sides every day. But our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Our battle is a spiritual battle. If we put confidence in our flesh to win a spiritual battle, you will lose. I will lose that battle. We have to trust in the Lord, Look to him. My eyes look to the hills. From where does my help come? Help comes from the Lord, right? When God's people trust in the Lord, guess what flows from that? Blessing. Look at verses 12 and 13. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, right? Blessing flows from trusting in the Lord. Why? Why does blessing flow from trusting in the Lord? Because part of trusting in the, in the Lord is obeying the Lord. You can't say, I trust the Lord, and then you don't obey what he said to do. Then you're not actually trusting in the Lord. Right? Part of trusting is obeying. God said that obedience is better than sacrifice. Why? Because obedience shows that you trust, that you believe what God has said. And blessing will always, 100% of the time, if you do and trust and obey what God has said, blessing will flow 100% of the time. 100%. Now, trusting in the Lord may get your head chopped off. Right? You may get fed to the lions by trusting the Lord and doing what God's word said. But if you're in Christ, praise the Lord, and you go get to be with Jesus, right? Blessing is going to flow when we trust and obey the Lord all the time. And God is pleased with that, and he gets glory when his people trust him and obey him 
blessing comes. Soli Deo Gloria. Section four. We're getting there, baby. I'm having a great time. In verses 14 and 15, this is going to be quick. Verses 14 and 15, let's read them together. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's another supplication, right? This is another petition by Israel to act. And they're asking God for increase and for blessing. But notice, notice what they confess there at the end of verse 15. Their confession is who God is. Their, their petition for God to increase and bless is based on who God actually is, right? right? So, so solely Deo Gloria for his creation and also for his benevolence. We serve a God who created everything and, and he created it good. As a matter of fact, he created it very good. But then what did he do? He gave it over. He gave it to his image bearers to steward it and to work it. Right? He's not a God who just keeps everything to himself. He, he, he's a benevolent God that gives. And right, he has given us things that we can get to enjoy. Right? The, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? When you eat some nachos, man, you eat nachos, you praise the Lord. You ain't worshiping the nachos. Right? We, we've been given, God's creation has been given to us, not so that we could worship it, but so that it leads us to worship him. Whatever you do, whether, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do all to the glory of the Lord. Right? When you, when you eat some good food, man, glorify the Lord for that. When you have some, you know, diet Mountain Dew, man, praise the Lord. Right? He's a God who gives. He's a benevolent God. Right? He's not a God who keeps things. That was part of the lie in the garden was God's keeping something from you. No, he's giving you everything. Don't believe the lie. Worship him. We, we see that in verse 16. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. He's a benevolent, giving God. And because of that, he's worthy of worship, right? Everything that he's created is worshiping him. The whole universe is worshiping him, right? Not the dead, though. Not the dead. Last section here is going to be verses 17 and 18. This is the fifth section. Soli Deo Gloria for his salvation and his eternal life. Let's start with verse 17, talk about his salvation. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Maybe thinking like, wait, where's salvation talking about that in that verse? I have two charges that I want to give to you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. Christian, I want to speak to you first. We are commanded by our Lord, Jesus, 
to evangelize the lost. You, if you are a Christian, Jesus lived a perfect life that you could never live. And he died in your place for your sins. And he was raised, conquering sin and death for you. This is not a message that we get to keep to ourselves. We should desire every human being to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We should desire for every human being to praise God and give him the praise that he is worthy of. You can probably think of friends and family members right now that if they died today, they would go down into silence and not be able to praise the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You're a minister of the gospel, Christian, whether you want to be or not. It's not optional. You've been called to ministry. You have a ministry that can reconcile sinners to a holy God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We have been entrusted with the message of the gospel, Christian. You have been entrusted with that. You don't get to just put it in your pocket and put it away and forget about it. You have a job to do with the message. Sinners can be reconciled to a holy God, and you have the message that can do that. We are not allowed to sit on our hands. Second charge I want to give. If you are within the sound of my voice this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have not placed your faith in him, do not delay. Do not delay. You don't know. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You, don't, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You could go down into silence today. You, and, and then the time to praise the Lord is over. If you have not trusted in Christ, do not delay. Come to him now this morning. We just read it. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Church, this morning, I beg of you, if you are not in Christ, I implore you, come to him this morning. Be reconciled to God. The day of salvation is today. There might not be a tomorrow. 
Soli Deo Gloria for his salvation in Christ. Finally, verse 18. Soli Deo Gloria for his eternal life. But we, believer, Israel, church, will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. If you are in union with Christ this morning by the sovereign working of God's Holy Spirit, if he has united you to Christ this morning, you too, though Christ was resurrected, you too will follow in his resurrection. You too will follow his resurrection into an eternal life, praising God and blessing his name forever, for all eternity, because he is worthy of that. Praise God for his eternal life that he gives in Christ, where we get to be in resurrected glory with our Savior for all eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Look at the end of verse 18. Praise the Lord. Soli Deo. Gloria. Let's pray. God, we we give you praise. We give you all the glory. You are the only one worthy of praise and glory. May we never give our glory to another. May we never give our praise to false idols of this world. May we worship you fully by the power of your Holy Spirit through the finished work of Jesus, our Messiah. It's in his name we pray. Amen.